Well, welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show and our convention series. This will be the last of our series on the Georgia GOP convention just held in Columbus. What an exciting time. CDM and the Georgia record brought you fantastic coverage. I hope you saw a lot of it. A lot of breaking news during the convention. Uh, welcome, Bill. Bill Quinn is my co-host. He's here with us today. Good evening. It's good to see you, Todd. So uh, what an exciting time, and the news flow has just been a fire hose since. We've had reporters on the ground scrambling around to, to follow up on the stories that broke during the convention, and we'll get, we're going to get into all that, but please, I want to make a, a strong plea for our audience to sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. I do this every time, but we are being targeted revenue-wise, and we need help from the grassroots you get access to all 12 of our sites. The Colorado Free Press is coming online. It's actually up and running now, but we've got to just load some content. The Montana Sentinel is coming next week. Uh, we are growing rapidly, and we have global coverage. So if you want the best news, I'll give you an example. We posted in 2019 the stories of 10 to $12 million wires going to Joe Biden. That's four years ago out of Ukraine. So if you want to see... The news four years early before it happens, watch CDM and the Georgia Record and sign up for our no ad subscriptions. You get access to all 12 of our sites with no ads. It's 10 bucks a month, a couple cups of coffee. And with that, Bill, uh, one of the big stories breaking during the convention was this continuing saga of the Georgia Republican Party and the Georgia uh, Corporation, if you will. Talk, talk to us about that. Well, a, a lot of it actually came from contacts that uh, uh, you had made as well. Um, but there's this notion of, well, what are the differences between them? Who do they actually report to? Um, what are the, um, you know, what are the things that may not be apparent to members? And does the GOP Inc. really have members? It seems not to. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of questions swirling around this. And and actually, you may wish to comment on it because you heard a lot of this stuff, um, you know, firsthand. So, um, yeah. I, so I, essentially, I, for our audience's sake, who may be just coming into this story, we've reporting been reporting on it for months. But a lot of you are just understanding what's going on. Essentially, in 2014, the Georgia Republican Party opened a corporation, moved all of its assets into that corporation. And from what we can find it's controlled by one director and there's not a lot of transparency. It's definitely against Georgia election code. That was admitted by David Schaefer, the primary or former uh, Georgia chair uh, on June 9th. And they have put together a resolution that they will make the Georgia GOP follow Georgia election code 30 days after they settle a lawsuit, which could be a long time. So they're still breaking the law essentially is what the way we read it, Bill, right? Yep. You know, there's the uh, the members and many of the uh, activists that are in the GOP are, are asking some very direct questions right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there's been follow up. Um, the uh, several of the folks have uh, uh, reached out to the secretary of state's office to get more information. Uh, and of course, there's certain things that can be gotten from a corporation. There's certain things that can be gotten uh, regarding the GOP as it you know, as it stands as an independent party, non-incorporated. And those seem to be emerging as kind of two different paths, if you will. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, Susan Oprasuth and, uh, and Ted Metz um, were following up today um, down at the Secretary of State's office. And we actually were able to catch up with them and, 
and get an update as to what they were doing and, and hopefully what they are aiming to uncover in the coming days. And uh, we have a, a, a short video on that update. All right, you want me to roll that? I'll do it. Please. Okay. We're down at the Secretary of State's office with Susan Operson and Ted Metz. So Susan, can you take us through a little bit about What's going on down here? Why did you come down today? Sure, why we're here today. Well, basically, we are agents for a filer on an ORR request to the Secretary of State regarding the differentiation of the Georgia Republican Party, Inc. and the Georgia Republican Party and different filings for each. Most importantly, the Inc. filings would be, of course, under corporate Title 14 um, law and what they have regarding nonprofit corporations. And then we've got the Georgia Republican Party where we're looking at the election law and the ORR regarding the Georgia Republican Party. And so those, those sets of laws are different, aren't they? Absolutely, and uh, that is often, people are often confused. So we have more corporation information, but we're really lacking the Georgia Republican Party information. And I think you mentioned that they just today had sent some of the corporate information, is that right? Yes, which is interesting because we did speak with the representative from the Secretary of State's office and um, she appeared very helpful, but what was most interesting is evidently there was some corporate information sent this morning. Hmm. I think it's important too for the viewers to understand that the initial ORR, or Open Records Request, was filed in uh, May the 5th, on May the 5th. And so it's been, been quite some time. It's been quite some time and there's been continual um, communication between the filer, Sarah Thompson, who lives four hours away. So we're just simply her agents trying to follow up on her ORR request. Right. So uh, the Georgia Record reported last week about concerns regarding the uh, Georgia Republican Party, Inc. and the Georgia Republican Party and the differences between those and some um, confusion regarding whose responsibilities are holding up what. So I'm sure we'll have more on this and Susan, thank you and congratulations on the work so far. Oh, thank you. It takes all of us for sure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. All right. Thank you. So, Bill, there you go. Before we get into the other stories, uh, anything to add to that? So here's here's just netted out for folks. So um, before Susan and Ted arrived at the Secretary of State's office this morning, that office had forwarded out the essentially the registration information for the GOP Inc. Um, little more than that is visible to the public. Uh, like most corporations, it's treated as private. So um, the Secretary of State does not hold the, the remainder of the documents, things like lists of directors, uh, annual reports, um, you know, lists of financial statements and so forth. Those don't live with the Secretary of State and, and aren't able to be turned over to the public um, absent other steps. The GOP party is another story. They act under election law. Most of that has to be filed with the Secretary of State. And during their meeting today, um, what came out was many of those documents have been sent to the state archive. Um, and so the, uh, the, the Secretary of State's office promised to uh, follow up in the coming uh, few days, advise um, how to best uh, secure those, name them, and retrieve them. And we hope that we will see those actions in the coming days. Should that happen, more information should be then available about the party and perhaps their interactions with uh, the Inc. Um, so right. fascinating stuff. 
and hopefully we are seeing some activity that will help this process um, from the staff uh, within the uh, Secretary of State's office. Well, you know, a lot of uh, we've had a lot of feedback from some in the GOP that, you know, you're hurting our legal case. We, you know, we're going to resolve this. Um, but in my mind, we should not really care about a lawsuit with the GOP. I mean, they're still breaking Georgia election code and have been for 10 years. That's the way I look at it. How do you look at it? So uh, from coming from a corporate background, um, I'm aware that companies go through structural changes all the time. Mm -hmm. They sell divisions, they buy divisions, they buy other companies, they merge with other companies. And it's often infrequent that a company is not in the middle of some lawsuit somewhere mm -hmm. as these things happen. So it strikes me that there ought to be a way that regardless of an existing lawsuit, which is uh, it's not trivial, but it's not that complex either from what I've read. Mm -hmm. um, there should be a way to manage that and yet resolve these other problems, which seem to be quite troubling. So, well, you um, know, if, if, the, if a broker dealer is breaking the law and the way it's set up and the SEC comes and says, well, you know, you're breaking the law and they say, well, we got this lawsuit and maybe we'll fix it in a few months. It just doesn't work that way. It certainly right? doesn't seem to. <laughs> no, no. So before we get to the story of what happened at the convention, um, you were on top of another story with the election voter roll system. Tell us about that. So this is actually rather fascinating. Um, we have, if you'll bear with me for a minute, I'm going to draw in a couple of, couple of illustrations for this. The, um, we learned um, in a, bear with me for a minute. We learned in, a, um, in an announcement or a, a testimony by Zach Manifold a few weeks ago that there was a concern uh, about, about um, and bear with me for just a moment. No worries. We're um, live. Don't, don't sweat. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, let's see that there was a concern about Jarvis. Jarvis, mm -hmm. as you recall, was announced a little over a year ago uh, by uh, Secretary Raffensperger. And let's see if we get the right one up here. And um, it, was, it was brought up, and it's supposed to manage our voter rolls better than ENET did mm -hmm. some years ago. Well, what was learned in the last few days was that um, reports and information coming from Jarvis was in fact flawed. And what I mean by that is if you looked at an individual line which represents a voter in a county and you looked at the what's called the last vote date, that last vote date would, would ostensibly be the last time that that person on that line voted. Well, the problem is that it seems to be erroneous. In many cases, um, the, uh, the date is coming out as, in some cases, as long ago as before 2012. Um, but in no case, in the four or five counties that have already been checked, the researchers have, have shown and proven to me and proven to other people that have asked that there is no record of anybody with a last vote date in 2022. What that means is there were four elections essentially held last year. 
a primary, a primary runoff, a general, and a general runoff. And according to the, the reports, the voter rolls that were received from the Secretary of State for May 2023, nobody in those counties is showing that they voted in any of those last year. Now, it does show previous years, but again, there's only one date for every individual on the roll. It's supposed to be the last date that they voted. So there aren't enough there aren't enough people on the roll to make up for what's missing. Um, and uh, we will, in the coming days, we'll have more on this. But um, several of the election directors reached out after we reported this via the Georgia record yesterday and asked for more information. Some people said, well, I've looked on my voter page and it shows the correct information. And yes, they do in some cases, not in all, but in some cases. Um, that's even more troubling because there's supposed to be a single database of truth and accurate information for all voters in Georgia. And what we're finding now is that Jarvis um, and the uh, voter rolls coming from the Secretary of State as they are requested are in error. But the voter, um, the My Voter page is actually re reflecting different information. How could so there, that- There could be two databases is what you're saying. How could that be with a single database? That's right. Yeah. So it's actually more troubling. And we've talked to experts in election technology. We've talked to the researchers in depth that are looking into this. And there are some other problems, but this is the first one because it's it's so pervasive. It is a hundred percent of the of the voter um, registrations in the four or five counties that have already been checked. Now, as of late, uh, just in the last hour, hour and a half or two, I have received uh, updates from a couple of the election directors saying that they've talked with uh, Blake Evans, who is um, associated with the, um, uh, the state election board, and uh, are hearing reports that the problem may uh, and hopefully has, has been resolved. Now, we need to see that actually reflected in the voter rolls to confirm it. If it's true, great, and we'll, we'll bring it out and report that. Well, we also need to know what the problem was, right? That, that we should, so that we understand yeah. and get, get clarity. Um, and of course, the flip side is that's not the only problem that the election directors are reporting. Yeah. So this is one of them. And it, the reason we focused on it is because it seemed and seems to be 100% of yeah. each of these counties. Nobody has a, a listing of a date in, that they voted in 2022, which is astounding, of course. Yeah, it so, is. Of course. So, wow, what a convention. It was a MAGA sweep. If, uh, you know, um, the, the one that really stood out to us, I think, is David Cross yeah. and his win. Uh, his speech was powerful, to say the least. And I think that's what put him over the top. What do you think? I, I think it was a couple of things. I think he, you know, he made a very good speech. He hit points that, that of course, the, um, the conventioneers, um, could relate to, they understood, they believed in, and they and they got behind. Um, other people said similar things, but I think one of the things that ended up being the difference was David has been involved, visibly involved, in a lot of the election integrity steps that have been taken for going on now two years. Um, and uh, I believe that a lot of folks knew that. And they looked back at the record and said, I'm going with somebody I know has done the work. Yeah. Um, he didn't sit back and hope to do the work. He didn't, you know, 
talk a good ground game, but then not show up to things. He was in the mix. Well, this is no this is no slide on his competitor Brent Frost, who no, no, no. you know his family's been very involved. But my point is, or that I think Americans who are really concerned about election integrity want to see action over a long period of time versus you know teeing up to a convention or whatever and saying I'm all for election integrity, but you haven't done anything for two years. So right. they wanted guy with skin in the game, right? Yep. And I, I to your point, this is not a slide against anybody. I mean, yeah. a lot of people were involved in various ways. Yeah. But from talking to the delegates that I, I had a chance to speak with, that was the um, theme that I kept hearing was, you know, I know he's in the game. I, I know it's not easy for him. He's trying to run a business, too, but mm-hmm. but he's done this. And um, so we'll we're going to go with him because we know he'll he'll uh, do everything possible and, and probably more. So and Brian Pritchard won along with obviously our new chair, McCoon, uh, Josh McCoon. Yep. So. Um, you know, I hope people maintain they do what they say, I guess, in the long run. Well, so I, we're going to keep an eye on them. I think given what we saw in the last week and a half in uh, Fulton County um, with uh, Fulton electing to um, ignore a uh, nominee from the Republican Party, which is unprecedented as far as I can find anywhere in Georgia. Nobody's nobody's done this in the past. Yeah. And um, so folks will have an opportunity uh, in the near term all across the GOP executive committee that was just elected to step up and take this on. I believe that um, and, and uh, they've reflected this, too. The this issue is not a Fulton issue by itself. Mm-hmm. If this is allowed to stand um, like a bad virus. This notion of, well, we can do as we please. Can, the law be damned. Yeah, that's right. And then they can they can go do this in other counties. And I won't even list them because I don't want to put a thought in somebody's mind. But it should never have been done this way is what most people are reflecting. And um, I believe you'll and I hope you will see action, not words, action by a number of folks and a number of folks within the GOP to um, write what appears to be a wrong done within Fulton County. Bill, got anything else to add? We've got a, an excellent presentation Seth Keschel gave on election integrity at the convention. But before we roll that, you got anything else to add? The, the other thing is we've got uh, quite a number of articles. Some people are just now getting to them since they came back and, and are coming up speed. I would recommend folks go through uh, our articles on the convention. Um, there's some fun stuff in there. There's one that follows uh, Trump through the day as he makes his way from Florida to Columbus and then into the convention. So Hope folks will enjoy that. And uh, we may still have a couple more to bring out. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, we will uh, begin looking forward now to what needs to be done from here on out as we make our way toward 2024. So, And um, we will see all of you on Sunday again. Uh, we'll put together that show. But uh, until then, thanks, Bill. And I'm going to roll the Seth tape. That sounds great. Thank you, Todd. Okay. Guys, we're very concerned about election integrity. You're here. Uh, we have a very special guest today. He travels all around the country. He's world renowned for election integrity. A data specialist, a former military intelligence officer, and a very good friend of mine, Captain Seth Kepp.
morning, Georgia. How is everybody? I say I've got a lot of work to do in this state. Yes, amen. We're going to get a lot of things today. But I'll tell you this. Donald Trump back So there's a lot of work to do because I've been talking for years now. I met some of you in the crowd two years ago in Woodstock, Georgia. Yes, sir. Then, of course, I came back and we were over in Cobb County, been to Chatham County, even been to Emanuel County, been all over the country. 35% of the counties in the United States in two years. So I'll show it on a slide. Water covers. 70% of the earth, and I cover the rest. <laughs> well, I want to give a few shout outs. Number one, Hollywood. <laughs> to all of my friends that are we have the SQs over here, we have the Anna. <laughs> ben is 16. So when Ben was 14 years old, when he saw me putting out my maps, he was getting data to me and helping me parse through data and increasing mass. Young patient right there. <laughs> my friend Cliff here to my left, he's streaming on Telegram. Cliff goes by the handle Patriot AU. And it's only two weeks ago in Miami when I found Patriot AU was Patriot Auburn University and not Australia. Paul Ryan was down here recently. 
You guys have seen some of the candidates that are coming out to run for the Republican nomination next year, right? Yeah. Mike Pence just announced. <laughs> now, Paul Ryan was up in Woodstock recently, and he was going around campaigning, going door to door, raising funds. And this was a few weeks ago. And he was walking through one of these nice suburban neighborhoods, and he saw a playpen set up in one of these yards. A little girl there, about eight or nine years old, big blue eyes playing with some brand new baby kittens. And Paul looked over, he saw this play then and walked over and introduced himself and said, hey little girl, what kind of kittens you got there? She says, well, these are Republican kittens. <laughs> <laughs> and he was really thrilled and really happy about it. He says, you know what, we're doing really well here. I'm gonna come next week and Rami. And I want you to show him your kittens and tell him what kind of kittens he's got. She says, okay, Mr. Ryan, that sounds good. So he went and knocked on dad's door, raised a bunch of money, and left. He came back the next week, same neighborhood. And he sees this girl with her baby kittens, a little bit bigger. And he says, hey, little girl, you remember me? Paul Ryan. I've got Governor Mitt Romney with me right now. And I want you to tell Governor Romney what kind of kittens you have. And she looks up and she says, well, these are America first kittens. <laughs> and Paul leans down and he's like, what are you talking about? I thought you said these were Republican kittens. And she says, well, they were, but now their eyes are open. <laughs> so lest we forget our great history, we have a wonderful history to pull from many examples of heroes that have come and gone. We're going through what I would consider to be a crisis period in our country right now, which we're going to have heroes that we remember 80 and 100 and 200 years from now, because we are going to rescue this country. Samuel Adams is one of my favorites, with valor and candor. And he had this to say, he was speaking primarily to the people who were too passive to get up and do anything. Because there were people like that back in the 1770s as well. The founding fathers had a lot to lose. A lot of them were wealthy, they had land. They had careers, they owned business empires. And by the way, a lot of them were in their 20s and 30s when they signed the Declaration of Independence. So no matter how old you are, Ben, there is always a role for you to shine. Sam Adams had this to say, if you love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, go home from us in peace, right through those doors. We ask not your counsel or arms, Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you and may posterity forget that you are our countrymen. The question for you today, number one, is are you considering our current trials an animating contest for freedom? Because a lot of people are doom and gloom all the time. I put out on social media, I can't stand to hear the negativity because it's all consuming. It's an animating contest for freedom. The things that are going to be written about for centuries to come how citizens restore the land of the free. But when you think about posterity, the generations that are coming after us, because they're here and they are coming, Generation Z is already giving way to the new generation. So they're coming. So how do we want to be remembered looking back? Because we have the examples Ronald Reagan talked about sitting on your porch and looking out, remembering when, when men were once free. Or they can look back at us as the people that finally got together stopped fighting with one another and did something about it. So this quote means a lot to me. It's like, now, my life as a so-called election denier. You will hear that a lot. 
Jerry Lake, who is speaking tomorrow. There's somebody who's going to bring a lot of media attention here. Of course, President Trump is going to be part of this commission as well. Lots of attention to so-called election deniers. I'm going to tell you today that if you doubt certified election results, you are not an election denier. You're a fraud affirmer. Yes. So life as a fraud affirmer is pretty interesting. This is me on the right, by the way. <laughs> I've been able to walk with some real giants in the field of election integrity. Got Joe Oldman over there. There's Holly, Tony Shute from Audit the Vote, Pennsylvania. We have Kareen Solomon from Audit the Vote, Hawaii, who in a deep, 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 deep blue state has uncovered tons of corruption. So every state we have has patriots. Don't get into the red state, blue state divide. We discount the efforts of people who are sincerely working to better this country and our future. Slide. Sometimes there's a little bit of time for fun. Carrie Lake has become a friend of mine. I'm very proud of her. And she uh, took to Twitter to give me a hard time one day. Again, this is me on the right. Apparently, I messed up her pictures. <laughs> Slide. And then the mainstream media. We don't have enough Georgia records out there. We got a lot of mainstream media that come out there and trash folks. Election deniers, conspiracy theorists, QAnon kooks. That's what they want to call you. This happened to me, this was Reuters, back in November of 2021. The military intelligence veterans spreading Trump's campaign of disinformation. That would be General Flynn, Colonel Phil Waldron, Lieutenant Colonel Ivan Raikland, and the junior officer of the bunch, yours truly. By the way, I'd like you guys to congratulate Todd's son over here on the right. He's a new lieutenant from West Point. And he's all smiles today. But in a few short months, he'll be right here in Spring, Fort Benning, Georgia, with 130 pounds on his back, angry people yelling at him. Probably about 40 pounds later. At least. So enjoy it while it's fun. Yes, sir. This hit piece right here from Reuters, they caught up to me in New Hampshire. About six weeks later, I was doing this sort of in a moonlighting capacity. That's what I was like in Woodstock and at the Governor's Gun Club in Cobb County. I was still working a regular job, like everybody here. And I lost that job in January of 2022, just a few days after the New Year. And that pushed me out into the full-time capacity in which I am currently operating. So, what am I trying to tell you? You're here to talk about a lot of things this weekend, not just elections. There's a lot of things the political party does. But if you ever accomplish anything, that's the goal of being here, not to have a bunch of cocktails and show off your new attire, even though you guys like my new linen suit. <laughs> that's the thing. You gotta dress up sometimes. You gotta be presentable sometimes. When you start knocking over pillars of corruption in the world, they hit back. So if you're getting any accomplishing anything, nope. President Trump will threat to the global war. Would they be indicted over garbage? Yeah. I think so. So I lost my job. Whatever county you're from, you have 159 of them here. And you start standing up. People here, Mary Bell, is she here? Had a bill for campaign here. A lot of people who've done a lot of good things that they will come back and do own a business. If you're running anything, if you're ever had any hurt in your life, 
anybody in here perfect? They're going to find and they're going to come after you. So you're today when you're listening to people to understand that you have a sacrifice that you may make. And it's worth it. Posterity said to me it was. So, in people, propaganda radio. This was almost a year ago. A year ago this month, that was June of 22. Investigative report to see a bunch of us fraud farmers. Now, I found mine in Fulton, Maryland, in last only person in there, rock face mask. <laughs> By the way, I see that we don't have a street media. I don't see any masks. <laughs> and she's in that thing on and off, taking water in there, and acting like I didn't see her, almost like cartoons with a big dog on a bunch of people. Well, a few weeks later, this article came out. There's the best for you who are simple. Yeah. <laughs> a few weeks later, this article from NPR came out about the election denying their theories work. They put the maps up. You can see we have Mike Lindell, Frank Professor Dave Clements, and myself on Now they have scored me credit for the most states at this point in time. They have me down seven states, that number now forty, in which I've done election events. But they get Dr. Frank Mets by nine, nine more events than me. So I was not very happy with that. <laughs> and to my spreadsheet, I recorded all of this. I sent NPR an email. <laughs> when I have challenge into other they never did. However, I do keep very records. Holly, this is my current app since 
was safest and most secure question of all time. Safest and most secure election of all time. Not only did the guy not campaign, he get 81 million He also won Georgia without really campaigning. I've asked people to look through the records from the fall of 2020, and there were a couple little token appearances, a little bit of money. And if the New York Times deal had Georgia at 99% likely on election night to go to Trump with a seven point margin, 300,000 plus books and victory margin. And then Georgia did this thing. I feel like Georgia's been blue for 30 years with the last selections of elections and primaries. That's a lot of work that needs to be done here. We are going to talk about that. But the experts have told you how great the 2020 election was. Slide. Nationally, four points. Just to show you how safe and secure the election was. Bellwether County, has anyone ever heard? Yeah. Bellwethers, leading indicators of a final outcome, especially in an election. See, four years before I was even born. Since 1980, there are 19 counties, primarily working class counties, that align with the of every single presidential election. Meaning Reagan won them all twice, Bush 41 won them all in 88, Clinton won them. George W. Bush won them all twice. Barack Obama won them all twice. Trump won them all in 2016. And in 2020, Trump won out of 19. I can tell you from my recent club in Washington that Trump also carried that campaign by about 10 points. So Trump won the work last counties that aligned with the winner of presidential elections. Now, this is not causation, it's correlation. So, of course, they're going to say, well, it's a it's a strange election, mail it. What if you're wrong? I say, okay, fine. What if I'm wrong? But how about the bellwether states? We'll take it up a notch. These four states, were any of you guys alive in 1896? <laughs> Some of your mail voting numbers were in 1896. <laughs> states, Iowa, North Carolina, and Florida, when they go to the same campaign, no matter which party, they align with winner in every election since 1896, and that is perfect occasion. Except for in the safest and most secure election of all time in 2020, <laughs> when the war went to Donald Trump and somehow he did not to the White House. Slide. Republican party primary vote. Primary share of the vote is an indicator of presidential performance. Primary has been around since 1912. I doubt any of you were alive in 1912. The population we already been there in 1996. The highest share of
And Trump is toxic to moderates. Well, then who the heck voted for him? Right, so if Republicans didn't like him, then it must have been the moderates that gave him 11 million more votes, or the independents. Okay, it wasn't them. They hate him, and Republicans hate him. Well, was it Democrats? Because if it was Democrats, how did Joe Biden get 81 million votes? There is no way to explain the results of the 2020 election. And anytime somebody wants to come here, we talk about it. They don't talk about the content. They talk about who you're friends with. They talk about crazy conspiracy theories that are out there. And the reason I'm still doing this after two years is to give you a base of knowledge so you don't sound like a crackpot when you explain clearly to people that Donald Trump not only won Georgia in 2020, he won it by a lot, big league. All right. I like to get into the artistic side of my presentation. After all, where's our infantry officer? I was a ranger too, a PowerPoint ranger. <laughs> so PowerPoint slides were a specialty of mine. This is what I would like to roll out for Georgia election slides, but unfortunately, this is what I'll be rolling out today. Georgia, <laughs> the home of the pipe burst. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm going to hit you with a curveball. Any baseball fans in here? I grew up a Braves fan. I like to throw that first pitch curveball. I testified in front of the Arizona Senate at the end of February, and I went over a presentation very much like the one here. In fact, I used a lot of the slides and remade them for Georgia. Population growth. So a lot of your top ticket Republicans in this state don't want to talk about the election elephant in the room. But population growth, why don't we hit that one? Because these numbers cannot both be true. In 1980, according to the census, so did I pull this out of thin air? No, I used the government's own numbers. That's what I always do. That's why I'm pretty hard to counter. In 1980, the population of Georgia, according to the census, was just shy of five and a half million people, which was a change from the 1970 census of 873,000. So that was the growth in the 70s, if you a population of 5.4 million. And now you can see the pattern develop. Some of this is childbirth. A lot of this is out-of-staters coming in. This has been going on in blue states for some time where the cost of living is exorbitantly high. In 1990, the population is just short of 6.5 million, so the growth is just over a million. Now you can see in 2000, the growth is 1.7 million. So in the 90s, a lot of people moved, and the same was true in Arizona. You can see the population growth accelerating. Georgia gained an electoral vote this decade. Two, actually. It gained one here. And it also gained one here when the state grew by a million and a half. So clearly, your state is on pace to probably, even if we average this, probably about 1.6 million growth in the 2010s. Wouldn't you say? Slide? How about 1 million? So where are the other 600,000 people? in Georgia's census numbers, because all I hear is, well, people are moving to Atlanta, people are moving in, people are moving to Cherokee. Well, we used to live in Forsyth, but now it's too big, so we're gonna go over to Paul County. You know, we're gonna move all over the place, and yes, I know my counties. What does this mean? To me, it means that your census numbers are being fudged down to ensure that your Republican legislature doesn't get an extra U.S. House seat to carve out to the Republican Party. Also, it devalues your state in the Electoral College. I have numbers that suggest Georgia should have 17 electoral votes and not 16, and another U.S. representative. 
This is the same in other states like Arizona. My estimate was that the Republican coalition of states is short 12 to 16 electoral votes because of the engineering of the census. Now, why does that play into what we're talking about today? Because we had a smorgasbord of new votes fly on the boards here in 2020. I wonder why. In a state that supposedly is slowing down in its population growth. Now, I have trends that I can forecast, which includes this population growth. So I can stack votes on forecast based on established population growth. Georgia doesn't gain an electoral vote that somehow produces as many new votes as I'm about to show you, which one is correct. So no matter which way you want to slice it, something doesn't work out. Slide. Now, my stats for Georgia in 2020. Ready to go? All right, slide. In 2004, let me tell you what you're looking at. You have the year, you have the parties. So this is George W. Bush versus John Kerry. Margin of victory, it's in red. It's a Republican margin of victory. Obviously, they'll all be in red on these slides. George Bush won the state by 16.6% in 2004 in his reelection. The margin of victory over John Kerry is almost 550,000 votes. What do we have going on in 2004? We have the re-election of George W. Bush. And if you're honest with yourself, I don't care what convention you're at, the beginning of one of the worst second terms in the history of the White House. Yeah. Yeah. That downgraded the status of the party nationally. Two wars we can't win, one of which I served a year of my life in. How many veterans do we have in the House? You guys please stand up and be recognized. <laughs> Financial collapse, housing collapse, and economic collapse. The culture wars are taking off. We have the birth of a surveillance state in your own pocket with the Patriot Act. All the nonsense you go through at the airports, that happened then too. And then you have the natural political pendulum effect in which the incumbent party is ushered out in favor of the other party, which typically happens in eight years since World War II. And not only do we have the pendulum effect in play, we have the emergence of a charismatic, popular, young minority candidate with a limited political track record. He swung the national electorate 10 points to the left. And he swung Georgia, slide, by about the same amount. You can see Georgia goes 11 points to the left. McCain, hey, go back, 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 look at it. We have McCain only up 135,000. That is population growth. That is not a surge. Here for Obama, though, Look at this, this is a gain of 478,000 votes in Georgia. 478, you need to write that number down, 478,000. Barack Obama is the yardstick by which all Democrat enthusiasm should be measured, especially in Georgia, with a lot of minority vote. You understand me, right? So Obama got a lot of low propensity voters out, just like Donald Trump did in the working class areas of this country. Very little gain for the Republican Party, so the result is a trend. This is why I measure trends. They matter. The trends are what you smell and you see. You may not know how to put them in numbers. When you're driving around a certain area that used to be conservative, <coughs> uh, <laughs> and it's just not what it was when I was growing up when the big boss man was from here, right? 5.2% margin of victory for McCain. So it's there. It's a little bit tighter than we like it. But the good news is Barack Obama takes George W. Bush's place as one of the worst incumbent presidents in the history of the country. In fact, Barack Obama was re-elected in 2012, but he was re-elected with fewer votes than he had in the previous election. 
making him only the third campaign, along with two FDR campaigns, to lose votes from the previous election and be reelected. Why? Because the Republican Party nominated somebody, Mitt Romney, who could not communicate with the working class voter of any race, especially in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Florida. We didn't even Florida back in those days. Slide. So you see the result in 2012. Georgia turns back to the right by two and a half points. Romney wins the state by almost eight points. But was it because Romney was popular? Look at this. That's only 30,000 votes, and the state is growing by leaps and bounds. The margin went back to the right because Barack Obama lost more than 70,000 votes. So Obama did the heavy lifting by not gaining. If Obama was having even a typical Democrat gain of 150,000 votes, the state is close. Right, so the Democrats did everyone a favor. 43 states became more Republican in 2012 because Obama was losing votes everywhere. Now, we have Donald Trump in 2016. Trump 2016 was a lot different than Trump 2020, especially in the Sun Belt states. Look at the margins in Georgia, Texas, and Arizona. A lot of key Republican states that have a lot of suburban voters. These moderates, though, that's not who we are, right? Well, that's not true conservatism, which I don't know if anyone's ever seen a true conservative. But we got Donald Trump in 2016. Without a lot of political accomplishments, in fact, none. A lot of fighting within the Republican Party. So I live in Texas. So there was a lot of a Ted Cruz grudge in Texas, which caused Trump margin in Texas. The same thing could be extrapolated here in Georgia. Slide. Look here. This is why 2020 is such an anomaly. Trump. Does Trump have a gain in Georgia? Trump has almost no gain in Georgia, barely over 10,000 votes gained over Romney. So we have the Republican Party up almost 40,000 votes in eight years of population growth. But Hillary Clinton is not Barack Obama at the top of the ticket. She doesn't draw a big vote either, but a monster vote. Hillary only gains 104,000 over Obama, but she's actually only up 33,000 over Obama 08. So the Democrats are barely growing either. So the margin kind of stays stuck. Trump wins by 5.1%. So let that sink in. Donald Trump 1.0, with almost no growth in the state of Georgia in 2016, with no conservative accomplishments, running against an established politician. Is anybody else an established decades-long politician in Georgia? Didn't even campaign here and won the state by 5.1% with almost no growth. That means Donald Trump in 2020 if he's on pace to grow by the same amount, he's going to barely hit 2.1 million votes. He's going to be right at 2.1 million votes. Is that 2.1 million votes? Did we exceed forecast in Georgia? Do you, does anybody, if you were at a casino, there's no gambling in Georgia, is there? So if you came out to, you came out to Vegas or you went out to Atlantic City, nobody here does that, right? <laughs> I grew up in Mississippi, I did. And the dealer threw this card out on the top. You think he'd win the hand on a blackjack hand? If you bet for Trump to hold Georgia? Slide. Well, joke's on you. Joke is on you. That's a gain, a modest casual gain of 595,000 new votes. Slide. So that gives you this result. My forecast for Biden county by county analysis that I've done is very generous. It's a gain of over 200,000 votes. But if Donald Trump will win by seven and a half points, 
I keep on seeing that number, 300,000 plus for Trump, no matter whose analysis, analysis that is. Seen it from you, seen it from Garland, seen it from Kim Brooks, seen it from a lot of people that have talked about Georgia for two and a half years. But 159 counties. There are only two that stand out to me as something I don't really see any issues with the results. In fact, I drove through two of them, I guess both of them, Doherty and Stewart counties. Everything else is questionable, especially in the gang of eight up there in the north that I'm going to tell you about later. Any county that's in red has more than 9,000 Biden votes I cannot find a path for. Slide. And by the way, the margin in Georgia was less than 12,000 votes. These are the gang of eight counties, broken down by precinct. Thank you, Ben. Anything that's in red is problematic. What does that tell you? The gang of eight counties in Metro Atlanta, Fulton, DeKalb, Cobb, Gwinnett, Forsyth, Cherokee, Clayton, and Henry counties. More on the gang of eight later. Slide. Certified results in Georgia look like this. Biden with a win of 11,779 votes. What does a more realistic result look like? I have Trump by almost 350,000, and my numbers are very lean. I'm affording typical record gains for Democrats in the Atlanta metro area, and typically revising in Biden's favor in the other counties. Seven and a half points minimum. Trend Republican in 2020, not trend Democrat. Select. We're going to get very granular. If you'd like to come up a little closer and take pictures, you're welcome to. Well, Captain Kessel doesn't show his work. He doesn't get these numbers from anywhere but his own mind. Okay. Let's talk about political relevance. Let's make it make sense to the local voter. Georgia, since the Civil War, from 1868 until 1956, voted for the Democrat in every single presidential election. 1956 was the last Democrat. Well, actually, 1960 was JFK. But from, from 1868 through 1960, Georgia supported every single Democrat. Broke through with a Republican in 1964 as the Solid South began to crack. So in 1960, here's what this means. From the 56th election, that was Adlai Stevenson carried Georgia against White Lee Eisenhower, who won a national landslide. That's how solid Georgia was, and most of those margins for Democrats were over 60% of the vote. In 1960, Nixon lost to JFK nationally, but Nixon gained 58,000 votes from Eisenhower's total. Kennedy only gained 17,000 plus from Stevenson's, and the total number of votes went up by almost 70,000. Now, this total number does not equal Republican plus Democrat. That factors in the third-party candidates as well. Does everybody understand what I'm showing you here? This is the gains from each party from the previous election. Slide. Now, in 1964, 64 is in red because it flipped to the Republican Party. Barry Goldwater, there were a lot of unique political issues at this time that are very contentious in the South that led to this result. But Goldwater consumed a lot of the Democrat vote. That's why we have a gain for Goldwater of 342. The Democrat Party, this is Lyndon Johnson in a national landslide, gained 64,000. The total number of votes went up 406,000. So total turnout exploded in 1964. And now what we're going to see is a political anomaly. Slide in 1968, that's in purple. 
Anybody know why 1968 is not Republican or Democrat? George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, third party candidate, won a lot of the South. We can see that both parties took a hit. Both of the main parties took a hit. The GOP lost 236,000 plus of Goldwater gains. Democrats lost as well. Total turnouts up 111,000. Population is growing here in Georgia. Now we have Nixon in 72 being reelected in a national landslide. Georgia is big time Republican. Nixon won the state by 50 points. Nixon gained 501,000 votes. Now a lot of that is from the losses. But this is the record Republican gain in any election in one cycle in Georgia, even to this day. It's big enough to crush the Democrats. McGovern loses a lot of votes here. Total turnout is actually down 76,000. Now in 76, what happens in 76? Jimmy Carter. Where's Jimmy Carter from? <laughs> Georgia trends eight points to the left in one election cycle. That would be like being in Phoenix, 120 degrees, and blinking your eyes and being in Alaska. Third slide. So here's what happens in Georgia in 76. Carter won the state by 32 points. That means the Republican candidate, Gerald Ford, the Republican Party was highly tarnished after Nixon's impeachment resignation. The Republican Party loses almost 400,000 votes, but Carter gains nearly 700,000. That is still the Democrat record to this day. I would consider both of these gains in 72 and 76 to be somewhat unique based on the circumstances of the previous election. Total turnout is up because of Carter, almost 300,000 votes. Now, 1980, slide. Reagan won almost everything, but he didn't win Georgia. Carter still held on to his home state, even though he got trampled nationally. Reagan is up 170,000. Carter is down 89,000. Turnout is up 129,000. 84, this is Reagan in a national landslide. Wins Georgia with ease, gains 414,000 votes. So now Georgia is starting to slide over and become a Republican state. Democrats are down big time. Now that Carter's off the ticket, this is Mondale taking the beat. In 88, slide, Bush 41 also wins the state. You can see the momentum is starting to slow down. Bush has very little gain, but the Democrats don't have much of a gain either. Congress didn't have much of an audience here in Georgia. Slide. Now here's Bill Clinton with a little bit of an upset. Georgia was the closest state in the 1992 election, decided by just over a half point. Ross Perot disproportionately damaged George Bush 41 in Georgia, the state went to Bill Clinton. Now, Clinton was reelected in a big landslide in 96, over here, but Dole flips the state. Georgia is pretty close. It's the third closest state on the map in 96, but Dole wins it back. Dole's got 86,000 new votes. Slide. Bush, with a big win in Georgia, 12 points in 2000. Bush has a gain of 339,000. Gore, 62,000. Total turnout is up, about 300,000 votes. Now we're going to get Bush. We already saw these numbers on the previous slides. This is going to be Bush by 16 and a half. There's some big numbers on the board. That was also what I found in Arizona. This is the first election with widespread usage of electronic voting systems, thanks to the Haney Chads incident in 2000. Now, this is Bush with nearly half a million new votes, so he's just shy of Nixon's record from 72. This is probably a more organic record right there based on what we have in 68 on the map. Kerry up almost a quarter million. And then we have the total increase in votes is the record. 705,000 is the record for new votes in one election. That goes hand in hand with the population growth experienced in the 80s and 90s at the beginning of that decade. <coughs> Slide. Now here's Obama mania. 
like I said, McCain's got a little bit of a gain thanks to population growth. This is Obama's. The yardstick by which all Democrat enthusiasm should be measured is Barack Obama. Not even a half a million votes. Total votes are up 630,000. So you see two elections in a row, Georgia's become a big time state. Slide. Now, Obama mania has popped. He's not popular anymore. Mitt Romney's not popular either, 30,000 new votes. So when you hear all these squeaky Republicans that don't stand for a lot and tell you how great Romney was, Romney's gains were because Obama lost a lot of votes. Obama's down 70,000 votes in a state that favors him demographically and in population growth and in urban expansion. Slide. 2016, Trump, very little growth, only 10,000 new votes. Hillary, 104,000 new votes. A lot of that is just getting back into losses. So the Democrats are also stuck, just like the Republicans are, trading positions between five and seven points in March. You see a quarter million new votes on the board. Is everyone with me? So that's going to bring us to 2020. We're going to do a little forecasting. Slide, please. All right, we have the records. We have the Republican Party stats on the left. The highest gain was Nixon in 72. Maybe to make it a little more realistic, we would have Bush with 494,000 new votes in 2004 because there's no 1968 factor messing with our forecast. We're not going to expect a loss for Trump like that in 76 when Carter ran here in Georgia. The average Republican gain since 1960 in one election is 124,000 new votes from the previous. Democrats look similar for the totals. We have Carter's huge gain, which is not likely based on the way the political landscape lays out today with the polarization. And then, of course, we have the low from Humphrey in 68. And then the total number of votes. The most new votes cast from the previous election in Georgia is 705,000 in 2004. We're not likely to experience a downturn in votes, especially if we have a popular Republican incumbent president and also the growth of Democrat areas like Metro Atlanta. We can expect a quarter million new votes on average in any election. Slide. So let's play a game. Republican Party, Donald Trump won the state by five points in 2016 with almost no growth, almost no vote growth. Is he likely to reach Richard Nixon's number? I don't know. Is he likely to lose this? Here's the average, 124,000. The trend suggests to me if Trump hits 124,000 new votes, he will hold Georgia based on what the Democrats have been gaining. Slide. And there's Trump's gain. Trump triples the average Republican vote gain in Georgia in one election cycle. So how likely do you think it is with a game like that that Trump is going to lose? This is like me asking you, hey, the Georgia Bulldogs, I already have the answer. The Georgia Bulldogs are going to score 72 points this Saturday. You think they'll win? <laughs> well, I guess it's possible that they could give up 75 and lose. But if I told you they're going to win 72 points, you'd probably put a lot of money on them to win. Now we have Biden. This number for Carter is not realistic for the modern day, but I have it for context, just in case any of the infiltrators in your mainstream media want to call out on it. Barack Obama gained 477,000 votes. Does anybody think Joe Biden can match Barack Obama's enthusiasm? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just go ahead and say it. Let's go ahead and say Biden's going to match Obama with 477,000 new votes. But let's just say he's going to do it. Trump would still win the state by more than 100,000 votes if Biden was Obama. Slide. And there's Biden with 595,000 new votes. And now the total number of votes is a record by 148,000 new votes cast. 
There's your enthusiasm record set by a guy that didn't campaign in Georgia. Slide. Realistic revision, you can see this. I'm a 48 gain of 236,000 new votes for Biden, which would put the total number of votes double with the average. So this is not me saying there's no turnout. Slide. All right. You guys are going to maybe like or hate this slide. You will like it for its perspective and what you can share to people to show how stupid the numbers in Georgia really are. Or you'll probably hate it like I do because it's so bad. Now let's make some comparisons. Apples to apples. There's not that many Democrat counties. Less than 20% of the counties in the country vote Democrat, even in fraudulent elections. Baltimore City. That's fair. That's 80 plus percent Democrat. It's urban. It's demographically favorable for Joe Biden in 2020. Economically and racially. Baltimore City, Maryland. Joe Biden gained 2% over Hillary Clinton. So this is Biden's gain in votes from Hillary Clinton, 2%. That's hardly anything. Slide. How about Bronx, New York? Wow, Joe Biden was really popular in Bronx. He only gained a half a percent. That's 2,000 votes. Joe Biden is up over Hillary by 2,000 votes in Bronx, New York. Slide. How about Hines County, Mississippi? That's a pretty fair comparison to some of these mid-sized Democrat counties in Georgia. That's the county I grew up in. That's Jackson, Mississippi. That is a big-time Democrat stronghold in Mississippi. Biden's only up 8.8% in votes in Hines County. And by the way, that's less than 10,000 votes gained. Small county. One more slide. How about New Orleans? Joe Biden's up 10% in New Orleans. So we have a spectrum of Democrat strongholds, and not just Democrat counties, but strongholds, big time. No competition from Republicans, very little Republican voter base. I think that's a pretty fair estimate, especially given that two of those are Southern Democrat counties, that we can probably figure out what things may look like in the Atlanta area. Fulton County? Oh, whoa, oh, oh. whoa. It gets better. What about DeKalb? Who's from DeKalb? Drum roll. It's DeKalb. Okay. But hey, those are the strongholds. Maybe they really got the vote. Certainly, this isn't going to be the case in the suburban areas. <laughs> Slide. Cobb? Uh, <laughs> All right. Does anybody want one more? Are you upset? Guys? Yeah. Anybody want to see one ad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, catch a conspiracy theory. He's crazy. You know, he says all this stuff. I mean, totally, totally normal growth numbers, especially since Biden was so popular in some well-known Democrat strongholds, with some of them having very similar political characteristics. So Biden's up a mere 46% in Gwinnett County. Wow. Slide. All right, how about this one? Just how much research have I done on the 2020 election? I think about these points that so political cousins in a way. Notice I've excluded the Atlanta metro area from this. I'm going to get rid of the urban-rural divide. This is eastern Alabama versus western Georgia. You can see that eastern Alabama actually has five counties where Biden had fewer votes than Hillary Clinton. So anything in red, Hillary had more votes than Biden. A lot of these counties. So in the south, you don't have a lot of liberal counties. 
full of local white liberals. You have a minority vote in a rural county, sometimes it makes it very obvious, and you can see in eastern Alabama, Biden's not that popular. And you can see a lot of light blue in eastern Alabama, which is a gain of less than 10%. I do also have some suspect counties in Alabama on the elections front. That's not for today. But here in Georgia, you can see Joe Biden's got more than a 60% gain in Baldwin County. You can see up there in the North Georgia counties where our buddy's going to be in Ranger School one day. You see 30, 40, and 50% gains in these 80 plus percent Republican counties in North Georgia. So, what better way to bury 12,000 votes around Georgia than to stick 500 here, 1,200 here, where you don't think anybody's going to fire? So, Biden is not very popular in eastern Alabama, but he's super popular, especially in northwest Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is our goal. It is to end our pandemic of electile dysfunction. Does anybody want a definition for electile dysfunction? Disclaimer is I am not a technical profession. <laughs> Electile dysfunction is when you have difficulty maintaining an election. <laughs> <laughs> or when your election lasts for longer than four days. <laughs> but there are also some common symptoms. One of them is a sudden, severe, and noticeable loss of interest in voting. <laughs> and then finally, in the most severe cases, like in Washington, D.C. or in Arizona, premature inauguration. <laughs> All right. Ten points to true election integrity. Look, you can't laugh. Happy warriors make the best warriors. Just because things are tough doesn't mean we need to make everybody miserable. And nobody's going to want to tag along with a bunch of sour pussies. Now, the 10 points to true election integrity. These are goals for the long term. Very few of them have taken root anywhere in the country. I'll tell you the ones that have. But if we have a return to a clean election system that people can trust, that also delivers the will of the people to the offices in which they vote for, we're going to have something like this. Who here is willing to accept election results they don't like as long as it came in a fair election? Everybody ought to raise their hands. I'm not saying you're going to like it. I'm saying you're going to accept it. Why? Because that's the rules in which our free society lives by. And so we have to be understanding of that. But this is less about agreeing with people or calling people snowflakes as it is to returning to a system of elections we can trust because we are a constitutional republic. If we don't have faith in our system of electing leaders, we don't even have a country. And this is why I spend so much time being frustrated about people that are trying to see who's more conservative than the next guy around them. It doesn't matter what our positions are on energy, on pro-life, on borders, on the Second Amendment, if our elections are perfect. You really think that Georgia is voting for baby killers at the state level? I don't. You think that they're voting for people to take their guns away with one of the most dangerous metropolitan areas in North America in your state? No. You think that people are willingly turning around 
a strong economy with an emerging state? I don't think so. So this is the most important political battle that we have. As long as our battles are political, we should pray that they remain that way. This is the most important thing we have. So these 10 points need to be our message. Slide. The most important point and the first point to the 10 points is to clean out the voter rolls. It sounds boring, but there's a lot of things in life that sound boring that have to be done. How do you catch a ground ball? Keep your glove on the ground. You know, we could talk about all the fancy points that I'm going to talk about today, but if we have dirty voter rolls, the foundation of a dirty election is a dirty voter roll. The foundation of a clean election is a clean voter roll. Now, you're welcome, once again, to walk up to the screen and take a photo. You might want to, because we're going to discuss this data here. The Gableman investigation in Wisconsin. Anybody from the upper Midwest? You know, somebody, somebody I met earlier from Minnesota. This is Wisconsin. Yeah, you betcha. Send me that comment in an email so I can delete it. <laughs> so, Wisconsin, the Gableman investigation into the 2020 election. The GOP in Wisconsin doesn't want to do anything about it. Even Robin Voss, Wisconsin's inept House Republican leader had to admit on camera because of so much evidence the widespread fraud interrupted and destroyed Wisconsin's 2020 election. But they did nothing about it. Now here's why. Wisconsin, because of the COVID paranoia, went with big time mail-in ballots. They have two Democrat strongholds. Whereas if a Democrat wants to win Georgia, he has to really blow it up in Metro Atlanta because there's so much red everywhere else. The Democrats have to blow it out in Milwaukee County and in Dane County, which is home to Metro Madison and the University of Wisconsin. It's super white, woke, liberal type county. This apartment in Madison is very special in the top left because it has 312 registered voters <laughs> in 20 units, which comes out to 16 registered voters per unit. Anybody got 16 registered voters in their home, let alone 16 people, 16 registered voters. Now, on the bottom left, it's even more special because that apartment complex has 23 registered voters per unit. That's 341 registrations over 15 units. We also had issues in Wisconsin, like everywhere else, dormitories, apartments, nursing homes, empty parking lots. This nursing home has a two-to-one registered voter-to-bed ratio. In Racine County, we have a sheriff named Schmeling there who is one of the only sheriffs in the country that I know of other than Darlene, who has gone after voter fraud and election fraud as hard as he can. He actually filed charges there based on voter fraud, ballot harvesting, and the nursing homes. Wisconsin is a complete total disaster. Now, I usually go right into point number two here, but since I have an hour and a half, you guys have been, did you guys learn something or you want me to wrap it up? <laughs> I put in some special slides I made for Georgia to describe your issues with elections. Slide, especially voter registration. Now, I told you about the gang of eight counties. Cherokee, Forsyth, Up Gwinnett, Fulton, DeKalb, Clayton, and Henry counties. In 2004, George W. Bush won those counties by 26,000 total votes. They won the state by 16 and a half points. Now, Joe Biden won them by almost 630,000 votes. 
Now, if we deduct some of the bonus math that I've showed you already, Biden still won them by a lot, but not by 630,000 votes. In fact, Biden could have won those counties by 618,000 and lost the state. So it shows you just how much they had to pack in mail ballot fraud, electronic vote fraud in these counties and also throughout the state. Now we're going to talk about why this result happened in the Gang of Eight slide. Let's talk about voter registration in the Gang of Eight. The numbers you see in yellow in three election cycles. So 2004 to 2008 is one election. 08-12 is another. And 12-16 is the third. I have averaged total voter registration for three cycles. So how many new voters do we get registered between 12 and 16? That's one. I've averaged them together. So what this is telling you in three election cycles, in Fulton County, the average number of new registered voters for a given election is 47,613. So if you're a Republican in Fulton County, your average for three elections before 2020 was Fulton's going to have 47,000 new voters on the rolls. Voter registration gives you an idea of how many votes you can forecast. Now, obviously, turnout can fluctuate from previously existed voters, but the new voter registration suggests the enthusiasm that is coming behind it. That's why voter registration matters as a trend. So if you go register to vote August of an election year, can I count on you to probably vote? Because you want to register right before an election, I think your intent is to go vote. This is what people that actually know their forecasting understand. You can see the standard registration in three cycles for all age of the gang of eight on the board. Look at Clayton County. Very little enthusiasm here in Clayton County. You have a mix of different demographics throughout the rest. The most high propensity voters are your suburbanite, moderate to centerite type voters. You can see them in Cobb Gwinnett. Now, the total average for the gang of eight is 198,000 for any given election. So you can expect 198,000 new voters for three election cycles in all eight of the counties together. The high was almost 400,000 in 2008. That's Obama mania. Okay, so what I'm telling you, Barack Obama was the yardstick for which Democrat enthusiasm can be measured. Look at the registration number in the 04 08 cycle. So in 08, the Democrats had 400,000 new voters sitting in these counties. And that's why you had an 11 point trend to the left of the state. So you can see the result coming. If you understand how to analyze voter registration in states that register voters by party, which Georgia does not, it's very easy to do by county. And this is why my numbers in Pennsylvania are so obvious. All right, now let's see how things shook out for the 2020 registration cycle. So Fulton County has got 47,000 average. I would expect, even if we double it, Fulton County is probably not going to have 100,000 new voters on the board for 2020. Slide. Oh. Okay. DeKalb County had 24,000 average for three cycles, new registrations. DeKalb County is 8515 Democrat County. Slide. There's DeKalb. All right, so Cobb is 30,000. Why don't we triple that? We'll make it 90,000. Slide. Or 113,000. Gwinnett is 44,000. If we double it, it's 88,000. Slide. 150,000. Oh, Cherokee County. Sleepy little Cherokee, 70 plus percent Republican. We're good up here, right? Let's just go ahead and double it. Got people moving in from blue states, even though the population of the census didn't say that. But okay. You guys see the issue with the census now? Yeah. So, where did these votes come from with the lowest population growth in Georgia in four decades? Am I crazy? 
Does your audience think I'm crazy? Australia? All right, Cherokee. Let's go ahead and say 33,000 Cherokee. Slide? 52,000. Foresight that's going to definitely be double SB 36. Slide? 44. Clayton County. Well, here's the thing Clayton doesn't vote, but Clayton County, shoot, 10,000. Slide? Perry oh. <laughs> County, maybe 30,000. Slide? 46,000. Wow. All right, what does that number come out to? Because the average for these eight counties is 198,000. Certainly, Biden's not going to drive voter registration enthusiasm like Obama did, but even if he did, Biden will have 400,000 new registrations to go with. Slide? Slide. All right, so hold on. So we get the 198,000 average. Obama mania gave us almost 400,000 new registrations. Hillary Clinton was so popular, and by the way, this is why this had to happen, because Hillary Clinton is not Barack Obama sitting on the top of the ticket. Didn't get a whole lot of drive in voter registrations in these eight counties. If you have questions, we'll take them at the end. Let's just go ahead and say Biden's going to match Obama mania, 400,000. Slide. So those eight counties had a total of 808,000 new registrations between 2016 and 2020. And now, you know, why Biden won them by 629,000 votes. Slide. Before I jump into point two, there's research that will be forthcoming by a patriot named Kim Brooks from DeKalb County. And she shared a lot of it with me. We are going to roll that out in the coming weeks. And she has got soup to nuts information about what's happening in the registration databases. Voter registrations being inactivated, reactivated, inactivated again. People showing up after the date of elections and being adjusted to have voted in previous elections. Information on deleted ballot images. Places that mail ballots have been sent in Georgia, like New York City, Georgia, Cincinnati, Georgia, Miami, Georgia. <laughs> Illegalities conducted in the state in the requesting of mail ballots before permitted deadlines. It's all coming out. We have all this information that suggests that we've lost complete control of your elections here in Georgia. Slide. All right, you're good. Say that. Number two, ban all electronic elections equipment. Yes. Amen. It's not enough to scream about the particular vendor of any machines. Because all machines everywhere don't offer you the thing you need the most is transparency. Yeah. If we had transparency in elections, if we had transparency in our elections, we would not be in the position we're in because it would be impossible to do what's being done in elections if we had it, if we could see what's going on. If you could actually match a ballot with a real living, breathing human being, which is why for all these years you show up and you cast a vote in person. Any of your military veterans? How much do you think the soldiers doing drugs would love to take a mail-in pee test? <laughs> but you can't. Why? Because they need to see your face to make sure this is your sample. So there's a reason that we have mail-in voting everywhere and three weeks of early voting everywhere to make sure that we can get the results to come out just like we need so we don't get a change agent in any critical office. Ballot marking devices, scanners, tabulators, electronic poll books. But this requires you to work because honestly, in a lot of counties, we're not ready to move to voting on paper and counting them by hand. Because the first time we do that in a large county that we don't have enough people, first off, we're going to need five or six times more people working elections than we already don't have. So if you're looking for something to do at election time, it doesn't have to be dramatic, it's glamorous. 
but we have to be able to count at the precinct one day, one vote. I'm going to get into this, but we're not there yet. We have to get these precincts down to smaller sizes if we're going to get away from this. But number three, voter ID with paper ballots on. Not negotiable. You hear it all the time here in Georgia because they're trying to play to the fears of the Democrat vote, especially the minority population. It's the biggest lie that's ever been known to man. Now, here, who here has bought a firearm in the last year? How about flown out? And by the way, I uh, recently lost all of my firearms, ammunition, and magazines in a tragic voting accident. So, sorry. Who here has flown out of the airport in the last year? Been pulled over by a state trooper or local police. So you understand that having identification card is a key to living in a civilized society. They try to act like they don't have that. In fact, anybody who wants to withhold identification from an election intends to defraud the election. In North Carolina, the big shot for the Trump campaign, a positive shot, I should say, is that the Supreme Court upheld the state's voter ID law. And that is a big win. Now, voter ID has to be protected, but it has to be more importantly enforced, which is why you need a volunteer to be a poll watcher and get involved at the local seats watching people show their IDs and vote. Because you may be doing it in Hall County, you may be doing it over in Lowndes County, but I guarantee you in Fulton and DeKalb County, oh, who are you? Oh, yeah, ID, who needs that? Slide. Number four. Ban mail-in voting. Yeah. You may notice that I have an asterisk to the right of voting. That is to amend that to say severely restrict mail-in voting. I think anybody in the room that's a fair-minded individual would be okay with absentee voting for overseas military and the legitimately disabled. Everybody else, we go get our, we go get our haircuts. Out in person, we go to the golf range, we go to the shooting range, we go to the ball games, anywhere you can imagine. We go do it, we go out to eat. You can definitely go out in person and vote twice every other year of primary and general election if you want to be part of the voting structure. This used to not be an issue, but of course, now that we need to control the results, mail in voting is an issue. You hear a lot of people who don't want to fight the elections fight saying, well, they're not. These older voters aren't going to turn out. They've come to love mail-in voting. Do they not go out of their house for anything else? I actually, I, I, I get these mail requests from the Texas toll companies all the time. I got to write a check. I absolutely hate it. I'd rather just go somewhere. Slide. Number five. Yeah. 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 Ban early voting. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have a lot of early voting here. We have a lot of it in Texas. Texas has had two weeks of early voting. In fact, we don't like early voting. We should blame Texas because they started putting that on the books in 1917. And then within 70 years, early voting became a free-for-all. Want to vote early? Hey, go for it. What's the point of even having election day if we're going to be voting for weeks or even longer than that? In Washington, Minnesota, and Virginia, they start voting for president in September. In September. That's when they start pushing out all the mail ballots. So the early voting, this is from Houston, Texas. In 2020, in response to the so-called pandemic, Governor Abbott decided that two weeks of early voting wasn't enough. We needed three. So what we did was we had we had three weeks of early voting. And then here in Houston, the Democrats engineered drive-through voting lanes. 
<laughs> so it's, it's, it's too dangerous to get out of your car and vote. So slip out these six or eight IDs and we'll give you six or eight ballots. Yeah. Multiply that times three weeks of early voting in Houston, San Antonio, the Rio Grande Valley. So what we had is a record Republican vote gain, even higher than George Bush's own vote gains in Texas, but the closest margin since 1996. Donald Trump won Texas by almost the same exact margin he won Georgia by in 2016. So if you think Texas is a guaranteed Trump state in 2024 without a Georgia situation happening, you couldn't be more wrong. 91% of Texas's presidential vote was in before election day. 91%. Slide. Six drastically smaller precincts. This goes back to what I was talking about how a lot of places are not properly configured to get away from machines. In fact, the lines, which you see in Gwinnett County every election, they show the lines to vote are so long that they require the solution of mail in voting and early voting to make sure that everybody can turn out. Rather than having precinct sizes of 1,200 or fewer registered voters properly staffed to vote on one day. Now, if we're ever to get into one day, one vote, we're gonna to have to get away from situations like this because in Maricopa County in 2020, a number of precincts had more than 10,000 registered voters and 7,000 plus votes cast for president. There's no way, if you're a precinct committee man, or you work precinct level elections, there's no way to QAQC a voter roll of that size. Even a 2% error with a 10,000 person voter roll is a couple hundred fraudulent entries in which mail ballots can be assigned. Or fraud can be conducted on software or any other electronic means. We have to crunch down the size of the precinct. So those of you who have all these ample opportunities with 159 counties, those of you who are from mid-sized counties should start moving to see what can be done within the, con the confines of the law to make sure that we get these precincts at manageable sizes. Then we will be able to push for one day, one vote. Select. Number seven, yeah. ban ballot harvesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Florida made ballot harvesting a felony. I am a little bit curious why it is that it's a felony in Florida, but other states haven't moved to make it the same. Even though we have, of course, states can determine what their own laws are, including with elections. Ballot harvesting is the secret sauce for amping up mail ballot turnout, especially for candidates who don't campaign. Yeah. Have you seen 2,000 mules? You've seen the mules at work in Georgia. Showing up, dumping ballots in a box, turning immediately around the about face and dropping gloves off in the trash can, as if you've been there a hundred times, because you have. Ballot harvesting has to go. Ballot harvesting goes hand in hand with corrupt voter rolls and mail ballot fraud. You have ballot harvesting regulations here. They're not properly enforced. Slide. Number eight, election day is a holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a little bit of a weird solution. Some conservatives don't care for it because it sounds like another wasteful government holiday, but we have a holiday for just about everything else. <laughs> Anybody ever been to the post office on a Tuesday or Thursday to mail a package and pull on the door and it won't open? And you check your phone and oh, it's, it's Bill Smith Day. <laughs> so, and I actually made that joke somewhere one time. I think it was in Pennsylvania. There was a William Smith sitting right in front of us. I had to change it to talk. But <laughs> so, I had to get around to where we honor what we have established. It's called Election Day. It's not Election Month. It is not Election Week. Election Day. That is going to have to come with the requirement. So we get away from the mail-in balloting and the early balloting 
and moved to election day as a holiday. And why not make it a 24 hour day? I'm fine with a 24 hour day. Let's have a party midnight to midnight. We need volunteers. I would rather pay, have the government pay people to come do the work than for us to have three and four and five week elections. And then after after the election, count for that. the continuous counting. In fact, speaking of after the election slide, point number nine. Yeah. Maybe we should put a photo up of somebody that instead of fixing widespread elections issues is pushing ranked choice voting. New transparency requirements is absolutely is absolutely essential. Transparency is what we're after. And I call these the Raffensburger rules. Because the cap county kept counting and counting and counting and counting and counting until the state flipped and then there's no more counting. So we have this triple the average Republican vote gain getting vanquished over the course of several days. Understand Trump had carried Ohio and Iowa and North Carolina and Florida and Texas and had Georgia in the bag, according to the New York Times needle, which of all the problems with the New York Times. Their election forecasting on election day is top notch. They're the ones that saw the 2016 victory coming before anyone else did on election night 2016. And they had Trump with a 99% likelihood to carry Georgia with a margin of more than seven points and 300,000 votes. In fact, those are almost the exact numbers that I just showed you until DeKalb County did its thing. And we had double Obama mania going on in the game of eight counties. Now, what does this look like? I would support laws that require the larger counties in the state to report their votes first rather than waiting out the other counties. Now, this is particularly applicable in places like Nevada. Clark and Washoe counties, that's Las Vegas and Reno, account for seven-eighths of the vote in Nevada. But what happens is the one-eighth of the vote comes in on election night, and then for a week, according to even the state laws, the large counties start counting, and then they count their Dropbox ballots last. It's a rigged system. Can you imagine in Pennsylvania? Can you imagine in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia County being weighted out and they had to report first and then 66 counties report after and every time, every single election overcome Philadelphia, what the media would do about that. Then of course, North Carolina rules that we're gonna count votes for nine days after the election or Alaska rules where you're gonna request a mail ballot at 5 p.m. the day before an election and have a week to get it back. It is, it is election day. Some of these things that we're fighting about with election integrity have nothing to do with statistics at all. Just the simple appearance of impropriety in our elections ought to be enough to make everybody in the state sick. Slide. And then the final point, heavy prison sentences. Yeah. 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 If nothing comes with any of the fraud that's going on, in fact, if anybody here in this presentation, I'm fine with that if you're not a full-on proponent or full-on proponent of dealing with elections issues. But if you haven't seen Carrie Lake's cases going on in the courts, yes. you need to go back and watch them. Because they dared her to produce evidence and her legal team, God bless them, Kurt Olson is an American hero, have come out with so much evidence showing what has been happening in Maricopa County that it may have actually crippled a big arm of what they're doing to fraud their elections out. That has to happen here. The truth has to come out. You're going to hear from other I've been, I've been blessed with a national audience, but we have local patriots here all the way down in all 159 counties that have done amazing research. We'll take questions at the end. 
that have done amazing research in the state and found the issues with the voter rolls. Understand exactly what's happening not only here but in other states. And the truth absolutely must come forward if we're going to restore confidence. Even if you don't think my numbers are accurate, even if you don't think there's fraud in the elections, 75% of Americans don't trust the system of elections. 62% of Americans, including 45% of Democrats, 64% of independents, and 80% of Republicans believe the 2020 election was decided by fraud. That is five-eighths of the country. So if we think that we're going to establish a constitutional republic and hold it all this time and preserve it with stats like that, I don't think so. Slide. Now, these are the 10 points. If you'd like to take a photo, I'll give you a moment to do that. I agree with that. All right, five seconds. Go ahead. All right, so in conclusion, there's no political issue plus a day that matters more than elections. Exactly. Election integrity, whatever you want to call it, election reform, election integrity, the fight against election corruption. There is no issue that matters more. And it's not so much a Republican Democrat issue as it is an American's issue. Hey, we have a system of elections, and unfortunately, I've been in a country, Afghanistan, that has a better system of elections than we have here. Hey, that's a country that stones women for learning how to read. You learn a lot about the world by visiting other places. I've had the, the privilege to visit 49 states in the last two years. See how a lot of people feel about their system of elections. Learn about stuff I wish I never would have heard about. Unfortunately, I haven't met too many people that hold up their convictions when they make it into office. So we need to start making sure that we nominate regular people that are willing to fight for the people. And of course, until we can clean up elections, God knows if they're going to make it in. But if you're in here, obviously you care about the elections issue. And there are 10 points that are a straightforward path to making sure elections are clean. And they do not hinge on my party didn't win or my guy didn't win. They hinge on things that everybody ought to be able to agree on. It's called election day for a reason. Show up and vote with an ID in person. They go to the pharmacist. Are you going to get anybody's bills? Are you going to have them mail your bills to you? No, they need to see your face to make sure that this is you getting this controlled drug. Okay, you don't have them all over the streets like mail ballots going out everywhere. And then days to count them. It is called election day for a reason. We don't have to be Trump people or Republican people to support clean elections. This is a stable. This is a stable of what it means to be American. And people come here from all over the world to become American or to take part in our system. People have died coming here. People come here from all over the world. And they want to be part of what we've had and what we can preserve. But we're not going to pass it forward if we have corrupt elections. Now, if you want to keep up with me, slide. There's a QR code there. This is my social media. I'm all over the place, including on Substack, where you're going to get a lot of detailed information about a lot of places. I do not, do not, do not have a Facebook account <laughs> with 98% followers from Azerbaijan and Kuwait. That is not me. <laughs> now, with that said, I want to thank you all for your time. I want to thank those of you who have put in countless and thankless hours to save your state and to save your country. And I want to thank you for the work that you're going to do. And if you're not yet engaged, this is a really good weekend to find out what it is that you care about and to invest your energy 
and passing forward something that can be redeemed. So God bless you all. Um, Polly, how do you guys want to, what's our time look like? I'm a, um, We're going to take questions. I'm going to grab the microphone. Okay. And take it to. Right, thank you, everybody. <laughs> My comment is number 11 needs to be that if the county elections are challenged, that we have the ability for the government have uh, the state provide us the ability for an independent audit of the actual ballots. That has been one of the biggest problems we're having in Georgia right now. Everything you talk about is good, but without that independent audit, forensic audit. We have no control over the way they come. So the comment is, is excellent, and it goes into the transparency again. So remember the Maricopa County audit, right? It was indeed something that proved the election should have been certified. It was also the first of its kind, in which there was never actually such a thing as a full forensic audit. That was the first of its kind. They approved the same issues that I've shown here with the records. The counterfeit ballots you see all that research there and the thing that is missing is a lot of the public still believes that a recount is an audit a recount is not if i hand you five hundred dollar bills and three of them are counterfeit did i give you five hundred dollars no i gave you two hundred dollars so these ballots well the canvas it's not the canvas all right it's not the count it's the canvas the ballots have to match to a real life human being and the best way to do that is to have said human being show his or her face at the polling center and cast a ballot not to just take it on good authority that the ballots came from you and by the way if you think it's not going to get worse it will there's a number of states that are playing around in this full elections with voting on the phone on apps hey dad you know it's good to be home for spring break oh, oh good to see you too did you vote yet what vote oh let me have your phone right that's how that's going to work Thank you for your point. One more question, and real quick, when he responds to this, they are waiting on the next session. Like we said earlier, um, we're going to be running over a little bit. So if everybody would please exit quickly if you're not staying for our session after this question, we appreciate it. So just a quick comment or, or thought about mail-in. I study abroad. My son is probably going to be studying abroad in college. We is there, I don't know if there's a waiver to be feasible by the missionary work to go through an embassy, for example. There have, there must be a way for, for our citizens who are abroad and who can't come and, and you know, from an accountability standpoint, can we go through an embassy? How, how can the university partner up to thousands of people that will not be on our soil accomplished? I would agree with the statement on, on point number number four, which is the ban mailing voting with the asterisks. But overseas military legitimately disabled, the people that draft the legislation would also create special caveats for Nobody has an interest in, in disenfranchising any legitimate voter discounter for voters. All right, um, if anybody needs to talk to me, I'm gonna hang around outside the hall a little bit. And we'll, we'll clear out for the next show. Thank you, everybody, for your attention. Garland.